0: Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lupone.
1: This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and this is the Theater Podcast: intimate, personal conversations with the industry's biggest. Names. Our guest is Jefferson Mays, who maybe you saw on Broadway recently as Mayor Shin in The Music Man next to Sutton Foster and Hugh Jackman, two up and comers. You know, you should check them out. But Jefferson, too, has a long career of amazing, amazing storytelling and performing in his own right. Of course, he has a passion for telling an actual story, beginning, middle, and end, like just. The art and the passion behind him wanting to to tell this whole story is, is, is amazing. And he's got actually a history of taking on multiple roles in multiple productions. Sorry, I should say he has a history of taking on roles in multiple productions that allow him to play multiple characters in the same show. And coming up right now, this this winter in 2022 is no different. His unique adaptation of A Christmas Carol is him on stage alone playing all of the characters. It sounds phenomenal. It looks phenomenal. If you go to the website for the show, there's actually a video trailer there from I believe it was our out-of-town uh, production. But gosh, it just looks amazing. I can't wait to see it. So you know the drill. Find me online, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, TikTok even. And now everybody, please enjoy this episode with Jefferson Mays.
0: This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here, and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The longest
1: field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed... three I am so excited to start this episode because this guest is someone I found fascinating for so long, and I'm finally able to get into uh, digging into what makes him tick. Today's guest is a three-time Tony Award nominee for his performances in Oslo, his multi-character performance in A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder, as well as his Tony Award-winning performance in I Am My Own Wife, where he played over 40 different roles. His television credits include recurring arcs on FX's The Americans, Westworld, Nurse Jackie, The Closer, Law & Order SVU, as well as a guest role on the Netflix's Netflix hit series Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, who just <laughs> ran in the uh, uh, New York Marathon the other day. He was most recently seen on Broadway as Mayor Shin in The Music Man alongside Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster, and also recently completed his one-man rendition of A Christmas Carol at the Geffen Playhouse, for which he received rave reviews and is now bringing the same show to Broadway. Jefferson Mays, welcome to the Theatre Podcast.
0: What a pleasure it is to be with you, Ellen.
1: I I love... A Christmas Carol. It's one of those shows, one of those stories, right, that has been adapted and adapted and performed in so many different ways, and and there's like there's series versions and there's comedic versions, and then this is the first time I've ever heard of a one man version. So obviously you've got experience playing multiple roles in a single show, uh, you know, as part of the the writing of the show. It's not like a swing or whatnot, but. Where did this idea even come from? Because you're part of the adaptation team that created this, and then now you're performing in it, and it it, it is phenomenal.
0: Well, it it was a strange beginning, as as so many beginnings are. Uh, my wife Susan Lyons and I were walking our dog through the La Brea Tar Pits <laughs> in Los Angeles, like one does, and yeah, exactly. And we ran smack into uh, Matt Checkman, who's the artistic director of the Geffen Theater, and uh, we were talking about his season. And he said, "Is there anything y- you'd like to do?" And uh, and what popped into my head that November day in 2017, next to the you know the corpse of a mastodon, uh, was a Christmas Carol. Um, it, it just. Uh, sort of came you know up well uh, into my mind like a methane bubble from one of the tar pits and um and uh it's a project that i think i've always wanted to do ever since i was a child uh, and first heard my parents read nay perform uh this story for me uh and so he said fine let's 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 go with that uh make something and show it to me so my uh, wife and i sat down and uh and got our hands on Charles Dickens's own rather brutal cut of his manuscript uh, that he performed himself. So, in, in 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 actuality, A Christmas Carol started out as a one-man show. No uh, he kidding. wrote it. Yeah, he wrote it in I think 1843. It was published at Christmas time, and very quickly uh, became uh, popular. And um, there were a number of stage adaptations in London, I think, in the following year. Um, But Dickens, uh, who was an actor himself, um, decided to do it as a public reading. And I think he subjected about a bunch of coal miners in Birmingham to the three-hour, unexpurgated version, which they loved. (laughs) But he said, you know, I can whittle this down to 90 lean minutes of A Christmas Carol. So we based our version on dickens's own one man version we uh took some stuff away and added some things that we loved uh, from the original and um came up with what you'll see at the niederlander
1: that's insane i didn't realize that dickens was a performer i thought he yes. was just a writer we hear about like the great charles dickens and the christmas carol and the writings and the, i didn't know he he performed it. He too. was.
0: We almost lost a great novelist. Actually, he had he had an audition for one of the leading uh, actor managers of the day, um, and uh, got a horrible cold, so he missed his audition appointment. Um, he'd spent six months learning all the major roles in Shakespeare that he could wow them with, um, but he uh, he was a no show. Uh, because of this cold so I, I i think he probably would have gone on and been an actor and maybe gotten into novels but but i think we have that that cold to thank uh for dickens channeling all of his energies into his uh, his writing
1: and in the 1840s getting a cold was no joke i mean no he, joke no yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and i guess covid a cold a cold is an early form of covid
1: yeah, there you go. Um, I just I just love that one of the reviews I read from the Geffen production was like, you star as everyone, including a potato. So <laughs> I, I I think this is gonna be phenomenal. The set, I mean, looking at the videos, there's some YouTube, there's a trailer, there's actual video trailer for this that just makes it look phenomenal. But um like going back and uh, let's skip uh we'll we'll come back to this, but you went to to Yale College, which is is a feat in and of itself, but going back as a child, um, where where did this love for performing and storytelling come into play because knowing you and knowing the work that that you take on, it's more than just getting up and singing and dancing and and spitting out lines like you are a a true lover of telling a full story. And that's something I've always admired about you.
0: I am indeed. Thank, thank you so much for for ob- observing that. And, and I think it comes from hearing full stories as a child. Again, I think Christmas Carol, um, my exposure to it through my wonderful parents who are sadly no longer with us, um, was a seminal moment for me. Uh, I remember distinctly a night... I think it was, it was during the Vietnam War, because I remember the nightly news having black and white images of, of uh, GIs being taken in helicopters from rice paddies um, in Vietnam. And that night we were going to watch Wild Kingdom. I think it was a Sunday night in December. And uh, the basset hound and the cat ran under the TV table, which had a rickety, which was a rickety table with a black and white portable TV on it. And it came crashing to the ground and broke. And so with the night's entertainment lost, my father, <laughs> in a moment of inspiration, reached up and brought down this sort of yellowing volume of uh, Charles Dickens' a Christmas stories and uh, opened it to A Christmas Carol, and he began reading it. And uh, when he'd get tired, he'd pass it off to my mother, and she would carry on reading it. And I, I and my, my three siblings were transfixed, and they I think they read through the entire thing that evening. And I remember hearing my dad's beautiful, detached narrator's voice. And I remember watching my mother, this woman uh, I thought I knew uh, so well, transforming before my eyes into Marley's ghost, into a little fan, into Ebenezer Scrooge, into the ghost of Christmas past. And uh, it was kind of scary to, to see this this transmogrification happen. and um, And I think it's, in that moment that I fell in love with performance because it was theater in its purest form, wasn't it? It was a cracking good story performed by two able performers in this case, and then a riveted audience sitting uh, in a line along the sofa. So, um, <laughs> and, and, and I think it was that night that I fell in love with, with theater in many ways, and certainly with the tale of uh, a Christmas carol. Wow. And
1: that was in Clinton, Connecticut.
0: I know yes, was, it was. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you grew up, grew up in Connecticut and, did uh did your family start uh I, I guess your parents did they embrace um the sort of love that you had and start taking you into the city to see shows or were you doing classes yeah. or or seeing things like No that? I
0: didn't they were they were wonderful and that they never discouraged me and they never encouraged me you know they uh sort of made it available to me they were avid theater goers themselves subscribers at Long Wharf Theater in New Haven since 1969 uh, up and in through into the present millennium. And, uh, and they also subscribed to a Yale rep. And then I would get student rush tickets. You know, if I'd finished my homework on a Wednesday night, uh, they would take me in and I'd get a seat and, and get to see Rosmer's Home or Journey's End or Quartermain's Terms or, you know, whatever play was on, uh, in the seventies. And, um, and I, and I just, I was, i Became an audience member. I fell in love with the theater. Never dreaming that I would actually be in the theater, but I I thought it was a magical place to be.
1: Well, I guess then you said you never you dreamed of. Sorry, you said you you never dreamt you would be on the on the performing side of it. So was there was there a, a show or a moment that you can think back on where it just clicked and you were like, "This is what I have to do. This is this is where I belong up there instead of down here in the
0: seats." Yes, maybe so. I remember, actually, come to think of it, I did have a strange sort of mystical moment, if I may inflict that on you. Um, When I was five or six years old, my mother's friend had called her up on the phone and said, come down Waterside Lane in Clinton to see my tree. It was in the autumn. It was a beautiful blue, blue sky. And we went down to see this tree and um, it was covered with m- migrating monarch butterflies. It was the most beautiful sort of surreal vision of, of instead of leaves, all of these little gently batting wings against a beautiful, pure, blue autumnal sky. And, um, and I had this sort of moment where I said, if all else fails, a little voice said in my head, if all else fails, you can become an actor. Said, Don't worry. <laughs> 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 that's the <laughs> and, easy that's and, the easy course exactly and but then i sort of forgot about that and uh and then fell into it much later i was never i was in high school musicals we never did plays and i never was cast very well i was always sort of a singing waiter and hello dolly and um and so i was sort of content to be in the chorus but i think it's when i did my first play again uh with my parents friends they had this little funny society called the Clinton Amateur Theatrical Society, or CATS, in which they would designate a play like *The Importance of Being Earnest* and um, and do it in their living room. Everybody would come dressed up and and with script in hand, they'd sort of stumble around the front parlor, eating you know crumpets and drinking tea and and uh, spouting Oscar Wilde. And the guy that was playing supposed to play Algernon Moncrief. I uh, was sick, couldn't come. So at the age of 15, I stepped in and played Algae in this, um, this living room production. And I just loved it. So I think there's probably for plays, there was no going back after that moment.
1: We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. So you realize that your entire career you can thank to two people
0: having colds. Yes. Well, who is? Oh, I'm sorry. What? Who? Two people having a cold. Yes. By oh, my God, that's right. I wonder how many other careers have been built on sickness and <laughs> <in> others.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you look at like understudies or swings or something, and all of a sudden that's right. somebody has to. My step God. In.
0: Can we just talk about understudies and swings for just a brief Please. moment? Please. Um, this has been the year of the understudy and swing, the apotheosis of the understudy and swing, which has completely transformed my whole idea of company and what that means. Um, Doing The Music Man, which we started in uh, December of last year, uh, and then were quickly just laid low by a a vicious uh, visitation of COVID, you know, sometimes we'd be absent almost have like ten to fifteen members of the cast, you know, and this and the swings would come out and just do this extraordinary job, you know, with sometimes with an hour's notice. Kathy Voidko, who went on for Sutton Foster for preview number two or three, I think. I remember it was. that in the news, yeah. yeah. It was just I, I just remember I, I didn't leave the stage. I, I I had to do some costume changes, but I, I I was just in the wings watching this extraordinary woman, this extraordinary artist, step into this role and do it and, and do they, it beautifully.
1: They usually in that earlier production, like I don't even remember if she had a costume no. made at that point. So using somebody else's costume hasn't had a yeah pin, hasn't even been rehearsed in, and then all no. of a sudden you're going on in front of a thousand people and. I, gosh, I, I one of my favorite instances uh, to that point too was when uh, T. Oliver Reed got to go on as a fate in Hades Town, which, that's right, because right. that's yeah. that's a, a traditionally a role traditionally played by a woman, and now T's going in and yes. just crushed it, absolutely yes. crushed it. Yeah. So, like, necessity breeds innovation, and and I absolutely love the amount of of change and and new art and. I guess the ability that, or the forcing function to try things that we've never had the guts to try before that had to come out of COVID because we had no other choice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We had, like Sam Gold went on in the Scottish play, you know, yeah. one night, I think, book in hand. But that's that's theater. I mean, that's just that's what we all do. And, and we all do it at this, especially in musical is it this, this surprisingly, this this extraordinarily high level uh, of ability. And uh, so there is no such thing as hierarchy uh, in the company uh, of a, of a show. There just isn't. Everyone is an equal. Everyone is, is able and, uh, and gifted and, And deserves this chance, you know, to perform. And it was just thrilling to watch.
1: And it was it was thrilling as an audience member to hear about these things too. And like, I guess you know, from the produce the producerial, the creative side, obviously, you don't want to lose ticket sales, and you don't want your cast getting sick. But from a from a growth perspective and pushing the industry forward, I really, like I said, I just really loved how how we got to see people shine in a way. That mm. they probably wouldn't have been able to uh, otherwise, and uh, it's it's made so many people's careers. You know, it just yeah, shot them into stardom. I think absolutely. Like Julie, well, this Julie happened Bank.
0: to Sutton, our leading lady, Sutton Foster yeah. herself. Yeah, was in Thoroughly Modern Millie, out of town, La Jolla Playhouse, and uh, the lead became indisposed or something happened, and uh, Sutton, who was her understudy, just went right on and. The rest is history.
1: Yeah, a lot of alphas that way too. You get yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of your big alpha buzz now were, were understudies and swings. So I mean, yeah. The the I was a swing once, and I don't think I could ever do that again. The pressure, the mental anguish I went through yes. every day of like, wait, can I sing that part? Do I remember that part? I have to cover. I had to cover four tracks in Forever Platt. I, I was a swing for all four of them, and. I, I was insane with anxiety that entire run just because the harmonies are so tight. And I I was singing in the wings and I was doing the choreography in the wings every single night to keep it fresh. And I still don't think I, I don't know if I could have done it if I had, you know, gone on uh, for. You for didn't tour. get the opportunity to go on. I never,
0: it was a short run right. and
1: I never had the opportunity <laughs> to go on, but I, yeah. it was, it was really, really frightening. It was incredible. Well, I bet you funny. would have
0: risen to the occasion. It's, uh, we had one of our cast members, Branch Woodman. I think this is his like fourth or fifth production of Music Man. He's sort of a resident scholar of Music Man, and I think very early on he went up into the in, in the string quartet, uh, the I'm not the the the, the barbershop quartet, and uh, and just blended in beautifully, and it was just just a sublime moment again to behold.
1: It's it, do you experience? Do you experience that in in or have you experienced that where you get um I guess the actors equivalent of of in the zone that sports people that sports athletes get uh where all of a sudden you've just won the game and you don't you don't realize half of what you did or like a runner's high where you're just in the zone and you don't remember the last half marathon you just ran, but you're in the lead now, right? So do you get from the beginning of a show to the end of a show sometimes and you're like, what did I just do? And then you're standing there in front of a standing ovation saying, I guess I did okay.
0: Yes. No, that's, that's a common feeling. I think, I mean, I think it also depends upon the actual time you are on stage. I mean, like recently playing Mary I was sort of on stage in pockets and off stage and it's funny because it's only in those moments stage I've found that you really appreciate the, the magic of theater. I mean, my, some of my happiest, most transcendent moments have been in the wings, in the wash, of, the spill of light from the stage, watching what's going on on that stage and marveling at it, and what's going on backstage, too. Um, and those, for me, are the truly uh, magical moments of, of theater because the magical moments that you're part of you, you as you beautifully put it you you sort of don't experience it's it's a weird state of ecstasis and um you're not aware until it's all over particularly doing a, a one-person show like a uh, christmas carol um with no intermission because literally my sensation is i leave my dressing room door i enter the stage Something happens, and I come off the stage, and it's over and it's time uh, suspends you know for me
1: i I can imagine, yeah, you look back at the end of it and forget how you got there and yes, well a- along the lines of playing multiple characters though you you do this quite frequently you're you're choosing roles where you get to in- embody different roles in the same production, like you know like I said, scripted, right? So you're you're telling a story and you're acting it out like your dad did that one night when you were a kid, which I think is just beautiful. And I guess maybe that just answered the question I'm about to ask, but are you gravitated towards these instances, these these opportunities to tell a story amongst multiple characters in a single production? Or do you prefer deep diving into one character and doing it for months and peeling back the layers of that one character?
0: Yes, oh gosh, that's a that's a fascinating question. I I am gravitated grab I do gravitate I think towards towards storytelling. Uh, in general and in storytelling I do a, a lot of recorded books uh as does my wife. And that's a, a, a very different uh, experience uh but a, a singular pleasure in that you get this whole narrative to yourself and you get to populate it with all the characters in the book and tell the story itself. Uh, from beginning to the middle and the end, and um, and that's a, a a lovely feeling. And there's something about it that feels extremely um, elemental. Um, theater in its most basic form, as I said, a story and a performer and an audience. Um, so that that does thrill me. Maybe it means I'm a superficial person because I like to sort of skip around. <laughs> uh, and touch upon actors and maybe the, the deep dive into character is something that that may uh, may frighten me uh, somewhat, although I have enjoyed uh, playing, you know, single characters. But within every interesting character, every character worth playing, there's sort of a multiplicity of characters. You know, they're all there are many facets to explore um, and uh, and they're and they're endless. Uh, that, that exploration is endless.
1: I can't remember who's who told me this, and I, I'm I'm going to quote this. And if anybody listening remembers, tweet at me or something. Let me know. Um, they they were they normally play bad. Oh, it's Patrick Page. Normally play bad guys, right? right? It's somebody who it gets cast for that dark, deep, like mm, evil person. And his gorgeous, and,
0: gorgeous voice, and their
1: gorgeous voice, and he plays the character as if the character is is a good guy because nobody wakes up and says, I want to do bad things today. They wake up and they believe what they're doing is right. So when you have a good script, a Pulitzer Prize winning script, such as the ones that you have had the pleasure of performing and the wonderful words, you let the words do the talking, you let the story really unfold and do the talking. And and I I haven't had the opportunity yet to play a bad guy since hearing this but it mm-hmm. really opens something up for me where i can say instead of going in and doing the stereotypical like ha ha, i'm a bad guy eh, you know like the cartoony thing just play it like a genuine person who thinks they're doing good and they're going to come across loved and hated all at the same
0: time yes no i think that's a, a beautiful perception yeah absolutely i don't think there's any other way uh to approach that um yeah, no, he's uh, he's so smart, Patrick.
1: Do you have a favorite type of of character? Uh, I guess of show. Like you've done musicals, you've done plays, you've done comedies, you've done serious ones. Do you, looking back, do you have a favorite that you've done or something that you haven't
0: done yet that you want to do? Um, I I don't know. I've never been one of those actors with a laundry list of of or a shopping list of of roles that I m- must needs do. You know, before I reach the age of sixty or something. I always maybe it's laziness on my part, but I always like being sort of mugged or ambushed by a production in which someone comes <laughs> to me and is more excited about it than I am and says, listen, you really should do this. And um, and I think those are to be confronted by those sorts of opportunities is always more exciting because generally it's nothing that you would have thought of yourself. I mean, when I did I Am My Own Wife, I, I literally got a phone call out of the blue from my friend Doug Wright, the playwright, who uh, said, would you like to be in a play that hasn't been written yet? And, and I said, oh, sure. What is, what's it about? He said, it's, about to, it's about a gay East German uh, 65-year-old transvestite. And I thought, yes, that, that makes no sense. That's, that's just the last, really, really the last thing I would have thought. of."
1: We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode.
0: So yes, you know. Um, So in answer to your question, no, I don't have a list of things to do. And to answer your other question about what my favorite thing is, it's generally whatever I'm working on at the time, whatever absorbs and consumes me. But again, I'll say that Christmas Carol is special because I do think it's been something that's been simmering on a back burner in my mind and imagination since I first heard it. I mean, I remember... As a child at Christmas, playing at Ebenezer Scrooge on every Christmas, I would sort of count my money, look at my meager account in my local savings bank, and 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 light a candle in my room and sort of say blah, humbug." <laughs> um, and and I, I, I another thing, maybe maybe this adds this is brought brought about my interest in the, in one person performance is that I grew up in a neighborhood devoid of other children. So it was just me sort of traipsing around the backyard, wearing last year's Halloween costume, mumbling to myself, you know. Um,
1: <laughs> Where were your siblings? You, have three, you, had, you said you had three <laughs> they were, siblings. They were much,
0: I was an accident. I was, uh, I was, I was born uh, by mistake. Uh, my siblings are about 10 years older than I am. Wow. You know, seven and 10 years older, Yeah. You know? Wow. So wow. So were... I was ostensibly an only child.
1: That's Wow, that's nuts. I mean, I, I'm three and a half years old, apart from my brother, and we we were just far enough apart to not be in in high school together. So we were four grades apart, but three and a half years, and uh, and we got along fine. And then my kids are 20 months apart, and I I I don't know. I I rely so much on as an as the oldest child. I rely on. Uh, on validation, like what acting and performing does for me, it gives me that validation that the oldest child needs. Right. Mm. So then I don't, I still like, I feel like I understand what the youngest child or what only ch- children need, but I, I will never experience that. And so f- for me, I feel like there's a, a little bit of, um, gosh, uh, a, some, something that I've, that I've missed out on that, that only children and youngest children or whatnot, uh, they have a, the pleasure, uh, the fortunate a- ability to to escape completely into their minds in a way, in a in a creative way.
0: Yes, I think that's right. I think I enjoyed that very privilege because I think my parents were so exhausted, you know, <laughs> by raising the other two, and 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 sort of threw up their hands at some point. And said, as long as he doesn't kill himself, just you know, go out and be whatever you want to be. So, you know, again, they never encouraged me in this profession and they never discouraged me and they always sort of left me alone and 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 delighted in me uh, in a way that, that I'm I'll be internally grateful to them for that
1: that's amazing did they uh, did they get to see you like uh, perform on Broadway and and reach that pinnacle
0: they did uh, they, um, they saw my, my Broadway debut in I guess it was 2000 in autumn of 2003 almost 20 years ago, good Lord, Alan, <laughs> uh, at the Lyceum theater, but they came in for opening night, uh, for that and saw, uh, I am my own life. Uh, the one person show that I did then. And, uh, and then they came, come to things. And then my, my mother died in 2008 and my father in, uh, 2015. So wow. they've missed the recent stuff, but they the, the extraordinary thing about A Christmas Carol, uh, for me uh, personally is that, um, I hear their voices on stage. It's kind of like being on stage with my parents because I've stolen line readings from them and because we u- used to read it every Christmas. And uh, our uh, gorgeous sound designer Joshua Reed, um I told him about th- uh, this recording I have of them reading it on cassette uh, that was made li- you know in the last century. <laughs> and uh, and I was and I haven't had the guts to listen to it. I still haven't listened to it. But he says, "Well, it's gonna, you know, those things are gonna demagnetize or whatever." So he sent me this gizmo that you put them in and and transfers them to uh, memory stick. Yeah, you got
1: digitize it.
0: Yes, yes. And um, so I, I, I do that, so I have them, but I still haven't listened to them yet. But their voices are are there, preserved, uh, reading the entire thing, and someday uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to it. I'll I'll I'll. Work up my courage and listen to it.
1: That's beautiful. i I think that uh, there there's a lot there's a lot of who you are influenced now in a in a way that I mean, maybe you're you're aware of or maybe not, because, like the TV got knocked over. You started reading a story. Um, some, you know, your career took shape because a family friend couldn't come over because they had a cold and like all of this is just weirdly little these little chances these little tweaks that uh that happened and and made you who you are and your parents too they seem like they seem like they were such great people where they were just like the art art is great just go out and as long as you're happy as long as you're not hurting anybody like you said as long as you're not hurting yourself or hurting others just be happy and and i think that i sort of feel like that's that's Pulled a little bit of um, a, a pressure blanket off of you, if I'm using a correct metaphor. I yes, oh,
0: that's <laughs> yes. I think that's a really astute observation. I think it did. I, 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 yeah, I didn't feel that sort of that pressure. It's amazing how, how you describe it. That uh, that life is just such a random, an accidental thing, you know. And as long as we sort of grope towards things that made us ha- make us happy and people that we love then that's all you can do and then the rest of it is just uh some chance
1: that's what i that's what i started doing in my late 30s and i just turned 42 recently right and i wish you know they always say youth is wasted on the young i wish i could go mm-hmm. back to 20 something me alid and just be like dude relax you don't need to worry about all these other things and it's all going to work out right and for 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 me it's it's trusting um this feeling i get kind of the upper part of my chest of like pulling me towards something and i'm like mm. oh okay and and I, I it's similar in what you had said uh, a little while ago about you take the roles that you're that are unexpected they just they come to you and you're like yeah yeah i'll do it like there's no reason not to i'm going to do it and like christmas carol now is phenomenal it's it's and this amazing thing that showcases everything that about you and who you are and and it's without knowing it, the audience gets such a glimpse into your childhood and who you are as a person right even though you're you're not playing jefferson on stage you're playing yourself i mean you're playing all these other characters and i think it it just speaks so much it speaks absolutely so much to the fact that you just have to follow what you are what makes you happy and and i guess pay it forward is that what I'm looking for? Because if you're doing that and other people are doing that, then all of a sudden you're going to be on a team of people that are all doing that, and then you have lightning in a bottle.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's a lovely way of putting it. Yeah, ideally so. It's, I, almost, I always am confounded by the inevitable question that you receive from people starting out in the business of what must I do? What should I do? <laughs> what, what course should I take? And it's ultimately an impossible question uh, to answer. Um, and, I, and I always give the most unsatisfactory responses, I'm sure, because um, there is no way, or there are as many ways as there are artists uh, p- pursuing it. Um, I think a lot of people get themselves into trouble by saying, look, I went and hired a, an acting coach, I hired a vocal coach for this song. The, these things should all have added up to a stunningly successful audition, and I should have been cast. And it just is not work that way at all uh as however frustrating that may be it you can only please yourself you can only explore in an audition that which interests you and be true to yourself and never try to second guess them or give them what they want it's ultimately a a very selfish act i suppose and yet you can do no less
1: well that's all you can do, I think, to to showcase who you you are, and and you hear this all the time. Embrace what makes you different, and and uh, it was Michael Uri that gave the advice on this podcast a long time ago. Was was you got to, you can't go into an audition thinking the part is yours. Don't leave the audition saying, "Oh man, I lost that audition," because the point is, you never had it to begin with. You were there. Mm-hmm. To see if you were right for the role, and if you didn't get it, you weren't right for the role, and then eventually you will be. But if you go in getting down on yourself every single time you hear a no or uh, I'm, or mess up, like you're never going to get anywhere. You, if you're, uh, mm. I don't know. I just look at like the quote unquote weirdos, right? The di- the people who are different, the misfits, the outcasts who have a home on stage and in theater and performing. Because all of a sudden, that's where they're accepted. And I think that's beautiful. Absolutely a beautiful thing about, about theater and performing in general.
0: Yeah. Oh, God, yes.
1: Yeah. So let's wrap up here with three closing questions
0: that I ask
1: everybody to end the episodes. The first one just very simply is what motivates you?
0: Um, what What motivates me Um. Gosh, this is, I am maybe one of the most non reflective people you would, or unreflective people you would ever meet. Uh, <laughs> I, um, I, I suppose it's, it's curiosity, um, it's, it's wonder uh, about the world. Sometimes I feel as an actor, I'm an actor because I'm not a terribly successful human being. You know, I'm like, a, I'm so interested in being other people. Um, and trying out what it means to be what it feels like to be other people because of some sort of inadequacy in myself. You know, I'm not complete without extending myself with curiosity towards others. You know, that's sort of the, 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 the bad part of it, maybe. Um, and the good part of it is just it's it's lovely to feel this sense of curiosity and wonder every day. So I think that's what motivates me, just interest, interest in the world, interest in other human beings, and, and how they think and how, why they act and, and how they feel. Why I didn't become a psychiatrist? Uh, I don't know. The, you know, a the psychiatrist, a philosopher explores those things. Um, but uh, it feels right for me to be explore them as an actor, literally, you know, putting on their shoes and their With the hats.
1: multiverse, you are a psychologist. But in this universe, in this, <laughs> in this one, you're you an actor because that guy got a cold that's that's all there right. is that's the that's answer right. that's, all, that's there all there is, is. yeah could have what been adv- different so similar to what we were talking about earlier the next question is what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar
0: path i i think i would say i would just give my 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 younger self a little clap on the back and squeeze of the shoulder and a sideways hug and say carry on you know just do, do what you're doing and it'll, it'll all work out don't don't be you get too upset about anything. Just just carry on exploring, and be be good to yourself and to those around you. I love that.
1: All right, last question, hardest one. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see?
0: Oh boy, this is these, these are the, uh, from from the catalog of shows that I have seen from my memory. Is sure. that or, sure. or just any yeah. Any?
1: Well, that or any show, anything. what, what See, pops to mind?
0: Again and again. This is so odd, but what pops into my mind is, is Beck Bourne playing Quentin Crisp in Resident Alien. I saw it <laughs> at New York Theatre Workshop, and it's a one-person show. Uh, it takes place in Quentin Crisp's Third Street apartment in the East Village. And it was just the most riveting thing. I saw it in Edinburgh as well. Uh, I saw I would see it wherever I could, you know, and I just I loved dwelling with that actor and that character, Quentin Crisp, on that in that wonderful, squalid set. and it and I just felt very happy and very comfortable and and endlessly engaged.
1: Hmm. Well, now I need to go see the show. I've never seen it. All right. Are you on uh, a social media anywhere? Do you do the socials? No,
0: I don't. I live in a in a cloud of oblivion, um, <laughs> which which I kind of enjoy. I um I don't I don't have any of those things. Uh, I'll write you a letter,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and send me a, a carrier pigeon, uh, messenger yes, owl yes, tied to yeah. the
0: leg of a of an owl
1: (laughs) (laughs) you can get more of me at the theaterpodcast.com i'm on instagram twitter and facebook and tiktok leave a rating and a review this has been edited by well-rounded hoodland productions jukebox the ghost gave us our intro and outro music and jefferson mays thank you so much i really enjoy getting to
0: talk to you this has been just heaven thank you